بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا ما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد استمعت للسنز السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته few weeks ago i spoken the topic of humility in general and prior to that a few months ago i spoke on the topic of arrogance and last week i spoke specifically about the humility of the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and as promised inshallah today i'll share a few thoughts about the humility of the noble companions the sahaba radiyallahu anhum arrogance is regarded by the ulama as the mother of all diseases the origin and the source of all spiritual ailments arrogance can be traced to being the root cause of many ills both individual and social and it's something which allah has warned against in the quran it's something which the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam warned against in his noble hadith and most importantly all of the prophets of allah especially our noble messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam in word and in deed demonstrated the obligation of humility and the sahaba radiyallahu anhum since they were molded by his words and his company they despite being the greatest of human beings after the prophets of allah were also the most humble unbelievably humble and the way the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam transformed their character and changed them from who and what they were to who and what they became is nothing short of miraculous the arabs were a very proud and defiant nation they accepted in fact they resented the idea of a monarchy so 
in Mecca as well. There was no king. They had chieftains of clans, families and tribes. And they had a council of elders and leaders. Some of them were considered preeminent amongst these leaders. But ultimately, there was no one single monarch or king. Furthermore, the Arabs weren't even used to fancy titles. Even the oldest of the chieftains amongst them would be addressed by his kunya. And that actually remains a custom till today. So the Arabs were always a very proud and defiant nation. And yet, the Prophet ﷺ transformed them to be full of self-dignity. But in their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with one another, he taught them to be humble. And that's exactly how the Sahaba became. Because they, more than anyone else, recognize the obligation of humility and the harms and the dangers of pride, haughtiness and arrogance. Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu, he would actually say on the mimbar, and he would say very graphically, to the extent that Anas bin Malik radiyallahu anhu says, that we would hear Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu speaking on the mimbar, in such a manner that we would find it distasteful. So what was he saying that they found it distasteful or unclean? What Abu Bakr used to say is that man has emerged from the place, from the passage of urine twice. That's his origin. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu speak, Anas radiallahu anhu says that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu would speak about the birth and the creation and the origin of man. And in such a manner that we would find it distasteful. Because he would remind the Sahaba radiallahu anhu that we, we humans, Allah says in the Holy Quran, and to explain this further, understand this. Allah says in the Quran, That he, it's a verse of Surah Yasin, that he strikes a parable, man, strikes a parable for us. And he forgets his own creation. So he says that who will resurrect and who will revive the bones when they have become disintegrated? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that man poses a question that who will bring back to life and revive these disintegrated Bonds. And yet when he poses that question as an objection to Allah, he forgets his own creation. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created him from nothing. He brought him into existence from naught. Why is it then difficult for Allah to resurrect him from a peace that already exists? 
This verse, although it originally refers to that, the wording is that he strikes a parable for us and he forgets his own creation. Ulama have often used this verse in another context. Of course, this is the original meaning, but they've also used it in another, in another context, which is that man is always objecting about other people, such as in appearance. So when a person considers someone else to be crippled, disabled, less able, less handsome, less beautiful, less attractive, less prepossessing, if anyone considers someone else to be inferior and actually says about them that he or she is such. So the ulama have said, does he not remember this verse? Where he complains about others, or judges others for their appearance and their abilities, and he forgets his own creation. So going back to what Abu Bakr as-Siddiq used to say, he used to graphically describe to the Sahaba who and what we are. And what, what is that ultimately? Abu Bakr used to say that man has come. His origin is from the passage of urine twice. So when he, from his father, he passed as a drop of sperm through his father's passage of urine. And then when he was born, he emerged from his mother's passage of urine into this world. That's his origin. That's his origin. The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, even Ubay ibn Ka'b radiyallahu anhum, the famous alim and imam of Qira'ah from amongst the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, he would say that no matter how much you embellish, he used to say, food is a parable for us. Food is a striking example for us. What did he mean? He would, he, would, he would then explain that no matter how much you season your food, and no matter how much salt and spice you apply to your food, you know ultimately what and where its destination is. So Ubay ibn Ka'b used to say, no matter how much you salt, and season your food, you know what its ultimate destination is. And then he used to say, this is an example for us of the dunya. That the whole dunya, no matter how much we spice it up, no matter how much we decorate it and season it, its ultimate destination is similar to, our, to the destination of food. So both Ubayy ibn Ka'b radiyallahu Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu and other Sahaba radiyallahu anhum use these apparently distasteful but very graphic examples to remind themselves and others of the reality of human beings and their life on earth. Who are they? Slaves. Slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's all. Salman al-Farsi radiyallahu anhu, a 
famous and noble companion of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He was wearing patched clothes, rough and patched, coarse clothes that were patched. So, someone objected and said to him, couldn't you wear finer clothes than this, considering who you are? So Salman al-Farsi radiyallahu anhu said, إِنَّمَا أَنَا عَبْدٍ He said, I am only a slave, and I dress as a slave dresses. So the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum were always conscious of the fact that they are not kings on earth, rather they are all the slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they dressed and they lived and they conducted themselves in life and with each other as slaves. Wallahi, this is exactly how they thought. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu He had a servant. And people noticed that he would dress exactly like his slave dressed. His servant. They both had exactly the same suit of clothes. So he was questioned about this. And his reply was, let me tell you the reason for this. Bilal was a freed slave. So once Abu Dhar al-Ghifari had harsh words with Bilal radiyallahu <coughs> And Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu of character, he was very relentless and sharp and harsh when he wished to be. And in fact, the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, he was coarse in his speech. So he had harsh words with Bilal ibn Rabah radiyallahu and he said to him, Ibn al-Sawda, he said, O oh, son of the black woman. So Bilal radiallahu went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and complained to him that this is what Abu Dhar said to me. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam summoned Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu and said to him, He said, oh, Abu Dhar, you are a man in whom there is jahiliyyah, there is still jahiliyyah and ignorance. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, These mawali, these slaves and freed slaves, they are your brothers. So feed them of what you feed yourselves, and clothe them with what you clothe yourselves. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari took the words of Rasulullah ﷺ so literally, that from that day onwards, he with his own servants, he would feed them the same food as he fed them, fed himself. They would eat with him. And he and his servant would dress in exactly the same suit. No one could tell the two apart. Even Abdul Rahman ibn Awf radiallahu a highly astute businessman and a very wealthy individual, he came penniless from Mecca to Medina as part of the Hijrah. And the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, when they were made brothers by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, his Ansari brother said to him 
that I wish to give you half of my wealth. So Abu Abdurrahman ibn Awf said to him, he, he even offered to him, he said, look, I have two wives, I'll divorce my one wife and you can marry her. Of course, we may not understand this, but they were the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made them brothers. So Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu said, may Allah bless you in your family and in your wealth. There is no need for you to give me anything. Show me the marketplace. So... Abdurrahman ibn Awf went to the market and beginning from nothing he began trading. And eventually he became a very wealthy businessman, especially after the time of the Prophet But despite his wealth, his attendants and his servants, people say that no one could tell the difference between Abdurrahman ibn Awf and his servants and his workers and attendants. No one could tell the difference. That's how humble they kept themselves. And no one, no one was a greater example of humility than the ones who were the, most, who were the closest to the Prophet ﷺ and the most senior. Beginning with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq was wise, intelligent, renowned, noble, looked up to by everyone. But his humility was such. On one occasion, Imam Bukhari relates this beautiful story that the, from Abu Darda and the companion, who says that I was seated with the Prophet in a gathering. When all of a sudden, Abu Bakr came, Quickly, holding his cloth raised so much so that his knees were showing. So he had gathered his clothes and walking quite fast and holding his cloth with his hand, clutching his lower cloth with his hand. He walked rapidly to the gathering of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his, clothes were, his lower cloth was raised so high that part of his knee was showing. He then came and sat in front of the Messenger ﷺ. But as he saw him coming, the Prophet ﷺ looked up and said, Your companion has just been in a dispute with someone. Because Abu Bakr looked very upset. And what had happened is Abu Bakr had... Well, he explained to the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ saw him coming and said, Your companion, meaning Abu Bakr, has just been embroiled in an argument or dispute. So when he came and sat down in front of the Messenger وسلم, he said to him, Ya Rasulullah, I had an argument with Umar, Umar ibn al-Khattab. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum were human. They were not angels. And Allah kept them human. So that they could serve as an example for us. If they were angels, men could easily say they were angels, we humans. But the Sahaba radiallahu anhum were humans. They lived as humans. They had the same thoughts, the same emotions, the same lapses, the same weaknesses as any normal hum- as any human being would have. But the beauty of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum 
If we think of them as companions, and then we realise their mistakes, then we lower them. But we should never look at the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum top down. We should always look at them bottom up. So, instead of looking at them as Sahaba, and then noticing their flaws, we will actually detract from their greatness. But if we think of them as human beings, and then see how they behaved, how they lived, what they became, then that will only increase our love and admiration, in fact, our awe and reverence for the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, Ya Rasulullah, I had an argument with Umar ibn Khattab. Then I came to my realization. So I went to him to seek forgiveness. Allah, but he said, I went to him to seek forgiveness. Straight away. No delay. I went to him to seek forgiveness. But Umar was still angry. So he refused to forgive him. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, I had an argument with Umar ibn al-Khattab. I then realized my error. So I went to him to ask for forgiveness, but he refused to forgive me. So Abu Bakr came to the Prophet In the meantime, Umar his anger subsided. And he realized his error for arguing and also further his error for not forgiving Abu Bakr So he went to Abu Bakr house in order to forgive him and seek forgiveness himself. But they, he said, is Abu Bakr here? They said, no. So he realized he must have gone to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Umar radiallahu came. So when Umar radiallahu came towards a gathering, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam saw him, Abu Darda radiallahu anhu says, the face of the noble Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam changed. And he began frowning, and expressing his anger in his face straight away the prophet sallallahu was sensitive and in his sensitivity his emotion showed on his noble face his joy his pleasure his satisfaction his displeasure even his anger If someone ever accuses you of being sensitive, then you can reply to them with two things. One, the Prophet ﷺ was sensitive. Allah says to him, Indeed we know, إِنَّهُ لَيَحْزُنُكَ الَّذِي يَقُولُونَ فَإِنَّهُمْ لَا يُكَذِّبُونَكَ وَلَكِنَّ الظَّالِمِينَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ يَجْحَدُونَ Allah said to him, O Messenger of Allah, we do know, we surely know, that that's what they say grieves you. But know that they don't reject you, rather these sinful people, they reject the signs of Allah. So one, the Prophet ﷺ was sensitive. Normally soft people are sensitive. That's the first answer. The second answer that you accuse me of being sensitive, 
Maybe you are being incensed. So, <coughs> Prophet Sallallahu emotion showed on his face. When he saw Umar ibn Khattab arriving from a distance, his anger welled up. And his noble features began to change and show their anger and their disapproval. Instantly, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu realized. So despite everything, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu feared for Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu lest the displeasure of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam affect him negatively. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu leant forward and kneeling, this is a sign of humility, kneeling on his knees with his thighs raised in a very humble and servile position. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, Ya Rasulullah, I was the one who was in error. I was the one who was wrong. I was the one who was more wrong. It was my fault. Then Umar radiallahu anhu arrived. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to them, Allah sent me to you. So you all rejected me and called me a liar. But Abu Bakr said that you speak the truth. And he has honored me with his wealth and in his soul and with his family. So will you leave my companion alone or not? Are you not going to leave my companion alone? That was the hadith of Abu Darda radiallahu anhu related by Imam Bukhari. But the lessons in here, the humility of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and that of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, yes, they were human beings. They had disagreements. They became angry. They argued. But instantly, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu came to his realization, sought forgiveness from Umar ibn al-Khattab. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu being of his nature, he was still angry, so he refused to forgive. But then he himself came to his realization and went to the house of Abu Bakr to seek forgiveness and to forgive. Then Abu Bakr, when he realized that the anger of Rasulullah may affect Umar negatively, he humbled himself further and accepted all the blame and said, Ya Rasulullah, I was the wrong one. I was the one who was in greater error. These were the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. We, over a small thing, we, we bear grudges for months, for years, for generations. Abu Bakr radiallahu in the fifth year of Hijrah, as we learned in Hadith al-Ifq, his humility was such that when his daughter was accused of a sin of which she was innocent, one of the people repeating and perpetuating the rumor was his own cousin brother, Mistah ibn Uthatha. And Mistah was the daughter, sorry, was the son of his maternal aunt. So Mistah was his cousin brother. And Abu Bakr radiallahu, he was very poor. He was one of the muhajirun who was very poor. So Abu Bakr radiallahu an 
used to pay for him and used to pay for his nafqah and maintenance. He used to provide for him. So Abu Bakr he felt that of all the people, Mistah, who's a family member, who knows Aisha radiallahu anha, who's his niece, the daughter of his cousin brother, the daughter of his benefactor, someone who looks after him, pays for him, provides for him, cares for him. How could he repay all of those favors? And with the knowledge, the personal knowledge that he had of the family and of Aisha radiallahu anha, and despite being of blood, how could he make that grave mistake of perpetuating the rumor and repeating the allegations? So Abu Bakr radiallahu anha, in his anger, he said, by Allah, I will never spend a dirham on him again. I will never spend on him again. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse of Surah An-Nur. وَلَا يَأْتَلِ أُولُوا الْفَضْلِ مِنْكُمْ وَالسَّعَةِ أَنْ يُؤْتُوا أُولِي الْقُرْبَى وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْمُهَاجِرِينَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالْيَعْفُوا وَالْيَسْفَحُوا أَلَا تُحِبُّونَ أَنْ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Allah says, and let not those of bounty, meaning of wealth, and of richness, riches amongst you, let them not swear, take an oath in the name of Allah, that they will not give, to their relatives, and to the emigrants, and to the needy and poor, in the way of Allah. All of that in reference to Mistah, his cousin brother. Rather, they should overlook, excuse and forgive. Do you not wish that Allah forgives you your sins? And Allah is most forgiving, most merciful. So when Abu Bakr heard this verse, immediately, despite all his anger, imagine, imagine, his daughter is accused, the anger and the dignity of the father. And in his anger, he swore that he will never spend a penny on uh, a dirham on him again. Yet as soon as he heard this verse, Abu Bakr burst into tears and said, Bala, of course I wish that my Lord forgives me by Allah. I will never withhold a dirham from him again till the day I die. Instant forgiveness. Humility. Why do I mention this story in the context of humility? Because it's to do with pride. When we feel that our pride has been pricked, our ego has been violated, that's where the anger surfaces, that's where the anger rises. With Abu Bakr an, his family honor, his dignity, the honor and dignity of his daughter, all of this was attacked. And his favours and his bounty were all rejected and repaid with this offence. And yet Abu Bakr radiallahu he forgave everything. Often it's pride which prevents us from forgiving. It's pride which prevents us from forgiving. Some slight, some offence in the past. What did it do? It's pride at the end of the day. Cases of road rage, often, is just because eyes lock. It's all about how you look at the other person. That's all. No words are exchanged. No words are exchanged. No signals are made. No signs are made. But two eyes lock. Two pairs of eyes lock. And each is thinking and imagining 
what the other is thinking. We're reading into each other's minds. We're projecting our own fears and insecurities and thoughts onto the other person. We're imagining things. It's just because our eyes lock straight away, we, in our paranoia, in our fear, we begin thinking, what's he looking at? Why is he looking at me like that? What's he saying? Why is he staring at me? And then before you know it, one thing leads to another. Road rage. People get out of their cars in the middle of the road. In hustling, bustling traffic. Go over. Begin a fight. Arguing. Arguments lead to a fight. Fight leads to violence. And what's it all for? No basis in reality. Just one's pride. Just one's gibber. Nothing else. So it's pride which prevents forgiveness. Abu Bakr had every right to be indignant, to be angry. And yet, in his humility, he forgave and overlooked everything. And when they forgave, they forgave. They harboured and bore no ill will afterwards. That was the, another example of the humility of Abu Bakr radiallahu Remarkable. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu was a born leader. He really was. That's why nobody dissented, nobody disagreed with his khilafah. He was soft, he was humble, and yet nobody dared step ahead of him. Despite his position, despite being the first male Muslim, first male adult Muslim, Despite being so close to the Messenger despite being the father-in-law of the Prophet despite being revered by the other Sahaba he was so humble that on occasions the Prophet sent him on an expedition. And whenever he would dispatch an expedition, he would appoint an Amir over them, a group leader. And often it would be someone other than Abu Bakr and yet Abu Bakr would calmly and respectfully and obediently remain part of that group and delegation, not as an emir, but as a lower person, as a follower rather than a leader. He had no objection whatsoever. None. When the Prophet passed away, and the Sahaba elected him, how did his election come about? Imagine, this was the new power of Arabia. So much was at stake. The next leader would be the ruler, the uncrowned king of the whole of Arabia. Something that had never happened before in the history of Arabia. Never were the Arabs so united. It was a majestic position. The Prophet ﷺ left them everything. And yet, how were the Sahaba radiallahu anhum? Allahu Akbar. We're not talking about the Imam of a masjid. We're not talking about the leadership of a small group, or of a society, or a charity, or a small trust, or a company, or even a, the Imara and the leadership of a group of three, four people. We're talking about who is now going to be appointed to be the Khalifa of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the ruler of the whole of Arabia. How did the Sahaba radiallahu anhum behave? 
Abu Bakr of all people, in the Saqifah of Banu Sa'idah, he stood up. In one hand, he took the hand of Umar ibn al-Khattab In the other, he took the hand of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah And raising their hands, he addressed the assembly saying, O people, O assembly of the Muhajirun and the Ansar, I propose to you one of these two leaders, either Umar ibn al-Khattab or Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. That was Abu Bakr Abu Ubaidah what was his response? He turns around and says to Abu Bakr by Allah, no one cannot step ahead of the man whom the Messenger وسلم, appointed as his deputy on the, on the, in the place of salah in order to lead the companions in prayer whilst he was still alive. No one can step ahead of that man, O Abu Bakr. No one can be placed above you. That was his response to Abu Bakr He wasn't secretly harboring that I be made the leader and the Amir and the Khalifa. What was Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu response? His response was to further the words of Abu Ubaidah. He shouted out, he said, O oh, assembly of Muhajirun and Ansar, is there anyone that you believe should surpass and be placed ahead of Abu Bakr when he was the one who was appointed to lead the Muslims in prayer whilst the Messenger was still alive? Everyone said no. And Umar's response was, stretch your hand, O Abu Bakr, so that I may give you my pledge. Each one through the Imarah and the Khilafah on the other. Abu Bakr said, choose between Umar and Abu Ubaidah. Abu Ubaidah said, how dare anyone step ahead of Abu Bakr? Umar radiallahu anhu said, is there anyone who can step ahead of Abu Bakr? Give me your hand, stretch your hand, O Abu Bakr, let me pledge my allegiance to you. That's how the Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was elected. As a Khalifa of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we are not talking about the imamah of a masjid or the leadership of a small group or society or a trust. We're talking about the imamah and the leadership of the entire ummah. It's the humble who deserve to be leaders. It's the humble who deserve to be leaders. They are the true leaders. Those who have even an iota, even a mustard seed, even a grain's worth of pride and arrogance in them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala banishes them from Jannah, let alone accepts them as a leader of any sort. Sahaba radiallahu anhum feared Qibr. You know to what degree? Imam Ahad ibn Hamdul rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his Musnad. From the son of Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu, Abu Salamah, the son of Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu, he says, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al As and Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah. They both met on the hillock of Marwa in Makkah al-Mukarramah near al-Masjid al-Haram. I say near al-Masjid al-Haram because strictly speaking the Mas'a, the area to do Sa'i between Safa and Marwa, that area known as Mas'a is not actually part of the Masjid. So they both met on the hillock of Marwa 
near Masjid al-Haram. And they both came together, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As and Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhum. They spoke, and then Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As left, walked away. Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhum remained standing with head bowed, weeping profusely. So his companion said to him, O oh, Abu Abdul Rahman, why do you weep? What makes you weep? So he pointed at Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As radiyallahu anhu and said, Abdullah just informed me that he heard the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, Man kana fi qalbihi mithqalu habbatim min khardalim min kibr akabbahu allahu ala wajhihi finnar Whoever has a mustard grain's worth of pride in his heart, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will fling him flat on his face in the fire of Jahannam. Hearing this one hadith about kibr, about arrogance and pride, left Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu standing, weeping profusely. They feared. They feared for themselves. They feared pride. And that's why they forced humility on themselves. They really did. Abu Bakr radiallahu even after he became a Khalifa, on one occasion, it's a remarkable story, on one occasion he learned that we love titles. We love reminding ourselves and others who we are. We really do. So if someone asks us who we are, we recite a string of achievements and titles. Abu Bakr was a khalifa of the Muslims. The imam of the Muslims. He learned that a lady had vowed to do hajj all the way from Medina to Mecca, obviously. But she had vowed to do hajj in a state of silence, observing a vow and a fast of silence, which really isn't permissible in Islam. There's no such thing as a vow of silence, permanently, or for a set period. That's why even in I'tikaf, when you go into seclusion in the month of Ramadan, in I'tikaf, of course you are to detach yourself from everyone and everything else, but, and you are to keep speech to a minimum. But even in the state of i'tikaf, you are not allowed to observe a vow of silence. So you must speak, if and when required. For in Islam, there is no act of ibadah known as a vow of silence. As opposed to, some other faiths where a period of a vow of silence is considered an act of worship in itself. But there is no such prescribed or recognized act of worship in Islam, which is a vow of silence for any period. Of course, one should reduce and refine one's speech as much as possible, but not with the intention of ibadah as a vow of silence. So anyway, this lady made a vow of silence of doing hajj, in a state of silence. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, when he learned that, he wished to correct her. 
So what did he do? Did he send a messenger? He was a Khalifa. Did he send a messenger? No. He went to her himself. She was old. He went to her himself. And then he began advising her that, look, don't go to, I've learned that you want to go to Hajj and you've sworn a vow of silence, but you shouldn't do this. So go to Hajj, but without the vow of silence. So she didn't recognize him. So she said to him, who are you? So he said, I am a man of the Muhajirun, one of the emigrants. Allah. He didn't say to him, her, I am the Khalifa of Rasulullah, I am Abu Bakr Siddiq, Ibn Abi Quhafa. No. He just said, I am a man from amongst the Muhajirun, the emigrants. So she said to him, from which group of the emigrants? So he said, from the Quraysh. He still didn't reply. He said, from the Quraysh. So she said, which of the Quraysh are you? So Abu Bakr said to her, you really do ask a lot of questions, don't you? Then he said, I am Abu Bakr. Allah. Only then he revealed to her that I am Abu Bakr. That was his simplicity. And when he stood up, after the khilaf, after being appointed the khalifa, what did he say to the people? The first thing, I am not the best one amongst you. I am not the best one amongst you, even though I have been appointed over you. So if I am correct in what I say, follow me. If I make an error, then correct me. That's how the Sahaba, that's how Abu Bakr Siddiq was. He would often say, I wish I was a blade of grass. In his humility, he would say, I wish I was a blade of grass. He was humble with the Messenger He was humble after the time of the Prophet And who, who followed him? Umar ibn al-Khattab At least with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq one could say that he was always soft anyway. He was always soft, he was always humble. And he was quiet. And he wasn't large of build. He wasn't imposing in his stance. But with Umar radiallahu anhu, he was the total opposite. Umar radiallahu anhu, as Aisha radiallahu anha says, that Umar. كان إذا مشى أسرع وإذا تكلم أسمع وإذا ضرب أوجع. That when Umar spoke, when Umar walked, he walked fast. When he spoke, he made sure that the other person heard. When he hit, it hurt. كان إذا مشى أسرع وإذا تكلم أسمع وإذا ضرب أوجع. So Umar the Allah was like that. Allah Akbar. He he would not hesitate, and he would. Be humble himself, he'd force humility on himself, he'd make sure nobody else was arrogant. Allah, but never. We spoke about Uwai ibn Ka'b earlier, that he would say, food is an example of the world for us. No matter how much you spice and salt and season your food, you know what its destination is. And Ubay ibn Ka'b radiyallahu and being a qari of the Qur'an and one of the ulama of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, 
He, he would have students who'd sit around him, who'd visit him, who'd walk behind him. So one of his students relates that one day we went to see Ubayy ibn Ka'b and then when we finished, he rose, so we rose with him, and he walked, so we followed him. Umar saw him, and all Umar saw was Ubayy ibn Ka'b with a few people following him. Straight away, without saying a word, he approached him and lifted his stick rod over him. So Ubayy ibn Ka'b, this qari and alim of the Sahaba, he actually, the narrator says that he puts up his hands in order to protect himself from the rod of Umar. And he said, O Amir al-Mu'mineen. So Umar said, Do you not know that walking in this manner with people following you. He said, this is a fitna for the one who is being followed. Fitnatun lil wa This is a fitna, meaning a trial and a tribulation and a test for the one who is being followed. And this is a disgrace and humiliation for those who are following him. Why is it a trial? Because when a person sees people walking behind him, shaitan whispers in our souls, says, you're important, people follow you, you're the leader. Allahu Akbar. Umar was a leader. But he made sure that he never thought of himself as a leader in that way, nor did he allow anyone else to think he was a leader, even if it just meant one person walking behind him. So when a person walks behind us, we are accorded that respect. Then shaitan whispers into our soul, inflating us with a sense of self-importance. And he does that. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was his dua. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Min hamzihi wa nafkhihi wa nafthih. That I seek refuge in Allah and I seek his protection from the accursed devil. And then he continued, Min hamzihi wa nafkhihi wa nafthih. From his whispering, from his blowing, and from his spitting. And then Abdullah ibn Mas'ud clarified what each of these words meant. I seek Allah's refuge from the accursed devil, from his hums, which means his touch, from the touch of shaitan. And what's the touch of shaitan? Madness. And from his blowing. And what's the blowing of shaitan? Kibr, pride. Shaitan blows into you, inflates you, and fills you with pride, haughtiness, and arrogance, self-conceit. And from his spitting. And what's his spitting? A shi'r, poetry. Not bad poetry, <coughs> not good poetry, but bad poetry. Why is shi'r called spitting? Why was shi'r called spitting? The reason is that today, I'll give you another example. Same Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu. He heard someone reciting Qur'an. 
and the person was reading fast. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Rahman. So Abdullah ibn Masood radiallahu anhu said, Haddan kahaddi shi'r. And in fact, he used this phrase when someone said that he completed the Quran in such a short time. So Abdullah ibn Masood radiallahu anhu said, Haddan kahaddi shi'r. That this is rapid recital, like the recital of poetry. So how do we figure this out? How does this work? Haddan kahaddi shi'r. That rapidly reciting like the rapid recitation or recital of poetry. And seeking Allah's protection from the spitting of shaitan, which means shi'r, poetry. The reason is today, when people read poetry, normal poetry, how do they do it? In most languages, even in Arabic, even in Urdu, Asian languages, and even in English. How is poetry recited? With a lot of flair, grace. And very deliberately and slowly. True? Even in Arabic. But traditionally, the Arabs wouldn't recite poetry like that. It used to be the other way. That's why Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said, Haddan kahaddi shi'r. So how would the Arabs recite poetry? One word, rap. Like rap. So when Abdullah ibn Masood radiallahu heard someone reciting the Qur'an rapidly, or he was told about someone who finishes the Qur'an, he said, is that how you recite? That's rapping like the rapping of poetry. You don't rap with the Qur'an. You read it slowly and deliberately. And that's why shaitan spitting is what Abdullah ibn Masood radiallahu defined. And this was part of the dua of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam from his poetry. Why? Because you spit couplets, you spit verses, you spit rhyme. That's rap. So the Prophet ﷺ used to seek Allah's protection from the spitting of shaitan. But going back to what I was saying, his blowing, when shaitan blows into you, he inflates you. He gives you a sense of self-worth and self-importance. And let not anyone think that he or she is immune from that. When Rasulullah sought Allah's protection from the blowing and the inflating of shaitan, then who are we? So when one person walks behind another, shaitan inflates an individual and says, look how important you are. That's why Umar said to Ubayy ibn Ka'ab, he raised his rod and said, don't you realize... This is a fitna, a trial for the one who's being followed. Why? Because this will mislead him into pride and arrogance. And it's also dhilla, meaning a source of humiliation for the one who is following. Because it makes other people think that they are inferior. So no one should allow themselves to appear superior or anyone else to be inferior. So Umar was far more forceful. He saw Ubay ibn Ka'b uh, being followed by his students. He raised his rada over him. Umar would ensure that he was humble. And, does this, and others were humble. He could not tolerate arrogance of any sort whatsoever. Umar ibn Khattab Does that mean he himself was full of pride? Allahu Akbar. Umar no matter how he was, apparently... He was tall, broad built, loud of voice, strong, fearless, relentless, bold, courageous in every sense of the word, in speech and in deed. And yet, his heart and mind 
were humble and softened by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They really were. Umar radiallahu an. He was Amir al-Mu'mineen. Abu Bakr radiallahu an only remained a Khalifa for about 27 months. Umar radiallahu an for 10 years. And the greatest expand the Muslim area of rule expanded far more, far, far more, many fold more in the, during the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab عن, than it did in the, during the time of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq Riches flowed into the coffers of Medina. Byzantine Rome, at least the region of Anatolia and Sham were conquered. Persia was humbled and the wealth of Persia and Rome flowed into the coffers of Medina. And yet how did Amir al-Mu'mineen, the uncrowned king of Arabia, how did he live? How did he dress? Allahu Akbar. Anas radiallahu anhu says, I counted four patches just between the shoulders of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu on his cloth. Four patches just between the shoulders. That means if a cloth ripped, Umar wouldn't go and purchase another cloth. He'd patch it up. And was he conscious of making sure that the texture was the same, the color was the same? No. The cloth was of one type and sometimes he would have leather patches on a normal cloth. He lived humbly. Ali ibn Abi Talib and the son-in-law of the Prophet and his cousin brother. He advised Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. Do you know what he said to him? He said to him, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, if you wish to meet up with your two earlier companions, meaning Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, he said, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, if you wish to meet up with your two earlier companions, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu Bakr, then... Shorten your longing for life. Shorten your longing for life. Eat less than your fill. Fold your izar. And repair and patch your sandals with your own hands. Then you shall meet them. If you wish to meet your earlier companions... The messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr radiallahu Shorten your longing for life. Curb your longing for life. Eat less than your fill. Fold your izar. And patch your cloth. Patch, your, patch and repair your sandals. What's the meaning of fold your izar? In many cultures, and especially then, wealth and status were often marked by the length of one's cloth. Even here in Europe, in medieval times, they would normally have, even now, wedding gowns. You have a huge tail, and you have people holding on to the tail. So traditionally, the length of a tail of a dress, or even a, male, a man's gown, was a mark of status and wealth. And shortness of cloth was a mark of simplicity, humility, and poverty. 
So this is why Umar was told by Ali fold your cloth. Don't let it hang. Don't let it drag. And patch your sandals yourself. So Umar he would dress so simply despite being Amir al-Mu'mineen. Anas says that I, 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 saw four, I would see four patches just between the shoulders of Umar One of the narrators says I once counted the patches in Umar radiallahu'an's cloth. You know how many he had in one piece of cloth? Fourteen. Fourteen patches. And some of them were of leather. I.e. they were of different material than the rest of the cloth. It didn't bother him. <coughs> Even though he was Amir al-Mu'mineen, did he have servants, khuddam, people who waited on him? Whilst he was Amir al-Mu'mineen, the leader of the faithful, one narrator says, I saw him walking around in the marketplace. You know how? In one hand he had his rod, in another hand he had some meat which he had, which he, which he had just purchased. And walking through the marketplace with some meat in one hand and his rod and stick in the other, he walked home until he entered his door. That was Umar radiallahu. A former ruler or one of the royal family of Persia, one of the royal family, or one of the f- members of the former royal family of Persia, after it was conquered, he came to Medina. His name was Hurmuzan. He came to Medina and he went looking for Umar radiallahu anhu. And do you know where he found him? He was sleeping in the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam on the ground, soundly asleep. No guards, no door, no doorman, no security, nothing, no bed. He was just soundly sleeping on the ground. This member of the royal family, one of the ruling elite of Sasanid Persia, who had grown up in gold and silver, he said, this is the truly blessed king. He is a truly blessed king. Umar slept alone <clears throat> without any doorman, guard, security. That's how he was. I spoke about the Prophet last week. He was walking. And a Sahabi came up on a donkey. And he said, Ya Rasulullah. He, he shifted back. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, climb onto the donkey. So the Prophet said, No. That you are more rightful and more deserving of the front of your animal than I am, unless you give it to me. So the companion said, Ya Rasulullah, I give you that spot of honor, seat of honor. So the Prophet climbed on. Umar and the same, once he was walking, and he saw a young lad. He saw a young lad on a on a donkey. And this was outside Medina. Wallah, what he was doing, he was walking alone outside Medina while he was Amir al-Mu'mineen. No car, no, no, no camel, no horse, no transport, nothing. Walking outside Medina. So he saw a young lad on a donkey. So Umar summoned him. And when he, when he saw that it was Umar radiallahu he said to him, let me ride on your donkey with you. 
That young lad, seeing it was Umar radiallahu anhu, he actually leapt off the donkey. And he said, Amir al-Mu'mineen. So Umar radiallahu anhu said to him, no, you ride and I'll sit behind you. He insisted, the lad, Umar radiallahu anhu, refused. So the young lad sat at the front of the donkey. Umar radiallahu anhu rode pillion with him on the back. And they both entered Medina and everyone was staring. Here is Amir al-Mu'mineen, the leader of the faithful, riding pillion on a donkey with a young lad. It didn't matter to them. It, it just really did not matter to them. Wallahi, for them, a donkey or a camel or a birdhon. Birdhon was one of the famous Turkish horses, which was considered a mark of honor. Even Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah radiyallahu when Umar radiyallahu traveled to receive the keys to the whole of Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was conquered, but the bishops of the city, they refused to hand over the city. Part of the negotiated settlement was that we will only hand over the keys of the city, symbolically, to not to any of the military commanders, but only to your leader, I Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu So Umar radiyallahu came. Allahu Akbar. Here was Umar radiyallahu marching north in order to claim the holy city of Jerusalem of Masjid al-Aqsa. And how did he travel? In a procession? With an entourage, Allahu Akbar. With one attendant, one attendant, on a camel, not a horse, on a camel. And the two of them shared it. And you know how they would share it? Umar radiallahu anhu, according to one narration, he would say, I recite surat, one surah, some narration was Yasin. When I finish, then you recite. And for each surah, you, we, we take turns on sitting on the camel. And he arrived, he was walking. When he arrived, they saw him arriving from a distance. There was a pool of water. Umar and all the bishops are there waiting for him. The elite of Jerusalem. All of them were resplendent in their robes, including the military commanders amongst the Muslims. And here is Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab. And they're watching him from a distance. And you know what he does? He enters that pool and puddle of water, a large pool. So what does he do? He stops, he takes off his shoes, his sandals, and he walks barefooted in the pool with the reins of his camel in his hand. And he walks through. When he arrives, Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah radiyallahu said to him, oh, Abu, he said to him, O oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, if only you had brought a horse, a birdhan, a good horse, then it would have been good for you to present yourself in front of these dignitaries of Jerusalem. So Umar radiallahu said to him, Abu Ubaidah, you see the affair being there, being from there, meaning I do not see the matter as being from there, I see the matter as being from there. Meaning what matters ultimately is not what they think, but what Allah thinks.
And Abu Ubaidah also said to him, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, you entered the pool in that manner, and with this kind of clothing you shouldn't have, it doesn't look good to these people. So Umar had a lot of affection for Abu Ubaidah, but despite that he thumped him in his chest. <laughs> Being who he was, he thumped Abu Ubaidah lightly on his chest, and he said, O Abu Ubaidah, I wish it, was a, it would have been someone other than you who said this. He said, no, Abu Ubaidah, Allah gave us honor and dignity through Islam. As long as we seek honor and dignity in Islam, Allah will elevate and honor us. And the moment we seek honor and dignity in anything other than Islam, Allah will debase and humiliate us. He dressed humbly, simply. He couldn't care whether he was riding a donkey, pillion with a young lad, whether he was uh, pulling his camel through water with the reins in his hand whether he had patches on his clothes, it did not matter to Umar ibn Khattab. He was humble of heart. When he passed away, even on his deathbed, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. He was stabbed in Fajr Salah. He was brought to one side and the Sahaba gathered around him. People came to see him. A young man came. Umar is bleeding to death. Whatever they gave him to drink seeped out the wound in his stomach. It wouldn't stay. It seeped out the wound in his stomach. They knew he was going to die. This is Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab of all people. A young man came to see him, met him and left. As he's walking away, Umar is literally, actually bleeding to death. With his wound gushing. In that state of weakness, he turns round and as he's watching the young man walk away, he sees that the young man's cloth is hanging beneath his ankles, below his ankles. So he summons him. When the young man, he signals, the young man is summoned, he comes back. He says to the young man, O oh lad, Irfa' izarak, fa'innahu anqa lithawbik wa atqa lirabbik. He says, young man, lift your cloth, lift your izar above your ankles, for this is far cleaner for your cloth and far more fearing of your Lord. Even on his death. Abdullah, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma approaches. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma begins praising him. O Amir al-Mu'mineen, Allah chose you for the company of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allah made you the Amir of the believers and you fulfilled your duty. And he praised Umar radiyallahu anhu. Umar radiyallahu anhu's reply to him was, as far as his imara is concerned, his being an emir, he says, of this leadership, I only wish that I can come out of its equal, in that I have no claim against anyone and no one has any claim against me. Then Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu an, his own son, and Huma, his own son, he spoke to him. And he says to him, Go 
and visit Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha, the mother of the believers. Give her my salah. And say to her that Umar ibn al-Khattab conveys his salam to you. And do not say Amir al-Mu'mineen, for this day I am no longer the prince of the believers. I am no longer Amir al-Mu'mineen, the leader of the faithful. Even at that moment he is so conscious. Why did he send him? He's looking for a burial place next to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa so he says, go and visit Aisha radiyallahu anhu, Mu'mineen Aisha, convey my salams to her. Do not say Amir al-Mu'mineen, for this day I am no longer the Amir of the Mu'mineen. Rather say Umar ibn al-Khattab conveys his salam to you and requests permission, your permission, to be buried next to the Messenger of Allah and his noble companion Abu Bakr. Aisha radiyallahu anha, she actually said in reply, that I had reserved that place for myself so that she could be buried next to her husband and her father in her own house. But, she said, I give it to Umar ibn al-Khattab. Allah Akbar. She had reserved that place for herself, but she gladly and willingly gave it to Umar Humility on his deathbed, humility throughout his life. So much so, Abu Bakr radiyallahu he refused to tell people, I am Khalifa Rasulullah. That's what others would call him. Umar radiyallahu even on his deathbed, he says to his own son, convey my salam, but say, Umar ibn al-Khattab gives his salam, not Amir al-Mu'mineen, for I am no longer the Amir of the Mu'mineen. This was Abu Bakr radiyallahu this was Umar radiyallahu Umar radiyallahu despite being who he was, Allahu Akbar, his stories are amazing. Just of humility, nothing else. It's narrated that once at night, Zubayr ibn al-Awwam one of the ten promised Jannah, he was walking at night in Medina. In the dark of the night, alone, and he saw a figure walking with carrying a large jar. You know these earthen jars? In in Africa, in the Middle East, in rural areas, Africa, Middle East, and Asia, those of you who are familiar, you'll you know that before the arrival of taps and uh, modern plumbing systems, before taps and pipes, how would we have water? It'd just be a large jar right outside the house. And they would normally collect water from there. And the word jar in English comes from the Arabic jarrah. So in Arabic, the word jarrah refers to these earthenware jars. And the plural is jirar. Jarrah, jim'ah, jirar. But the English word jar comes from the Arabic jarrah. So, Umar radiallahu anhu, so Zubayr ibn Awam radiallahu anhu, he saw a figure carrying one of these large jars. And what he was doing is going to these houses and pouring water from the jar into the jar outside the house. So he stopped him, and he went close to him, stopped him, and lo and behold, who is it? None other than Umar radiallahu anhu. 
So Zubair ibn Awam radiallahu anhu says to him, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, Allah has relieved you of this. You are the Amir of the Mu'mineen. What are you doing? So Umar radiallahu anhu said to him, Let me explain to you. I had a thought, and the thought was just one thought, sudden thought, that passed through his mind. And that thought was that see how these people, meaning the Ansar. So, in order to understand this, the Quraysh were from Mecca, and the Muhajirun were predominantly from the Quraysh. And prior to Islam, too. The Quraysh in Mecca, Mecca being a kind of city-state, and Medina, which was known as Yathrib, being a city-state, they were rivals. And the predominant people, or the ruling elite of Mecca were the Quraysh, and the ruling elite of Medina were the Ansar. Previously, they were known as the Aus and Khazraj. So... There had always been this rivalry between the Quraysh of Mecca and the Aus and Khazraj of Yathrib. Always. But after Islam, they came together, but not as equals. For both Allah in the Quran and the Messenger وسلم, both placed the Muhajirun of the Quraysh over and above the Aus and Khazraj of Medina. So Umar during his Khilafah, he says, that he told Zubayr ibn Awam that I had a sudden thought. And what was that sudden fleeting thought? That see how Allah has given us superiority over the Ansar, the Aus and Khazraj, and how now they are our followers and they are subordinate to us. Despite all the rivalry of before, he said, I had that thought and I suddenly realized that it's, it's an ill thought. It's not humble. And I should not be thinking like that. So Umar says, in order to correct myself, in order to compensate for that one thought, he says, I made an intention that this night I will go and collect water and pour it into the jars of all the widows of the Ansar. In order to discipline himself. Allahu Akbar. To discipline himself. That was his humility. He had a thought. He recognized the error of that thought. And he made amends for it. He corrected himself. And wished to pay compensation. And his compensation in itself was full of humility. By which he humbled himself. This is how the Sahaba radiallahu anhum Ali radiallahu anhu. Even when he was Amir al-Mu'mineen, he was a leader. You know, the treasury of the Muslims? He would regularly sweep the treasury himself. He would sweep the floor of the treasury, the Baytul Ma'a. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu was made an Amir, a governor in a certain area. So he used to carry firewood on his back. And throwing the, sack of fire, or throwing the bundle of firewood on his back, he would walk. He was the governor, the emir of that whole city. And he would walk and he would humorously say to everyone, Tarriqulil Amir, make way for the Amir, make way for the Amir. 
So he, he would tell people, make way for the Amir. So they'd make way, they'd part, and they'd leave a path for him, and they'd just watch him as he's walking past, carrying a bundle of firewood on his back. This is how the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, were. Even Uthman ibn Affan, radiyallahu anhu, despite being wealthy in his own right, he was a businessman, he was extremely wealthy, and yet the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, saw him standing on the member of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam wearing a cloth which was not worth more than four or five dirhams. A simple, sorry, one izar, lower cloth, not worth more than four or five dirhams. That's a couple of pounds. He's Amir of the Mu'mineen, and his lower cloth is an izar of four or five dirhams, with patches. And his upper cloth was simply a cloak, a mantle, which was ripped, which was actually ripped. And that was Amir al-Mu'mineen, Uthman ibn Affan Ali radiallahu an when he became Amir al-Mu'mineen, he, he went, went, went to the marketplace, son-in-law of the Prophet Now the Khalifa and the leader, Amir al-Mu'mineen of the Muslims, what does he do? He buys some food in the marketplace for his family. So someone quickly rushes forward and says, Amir al-Mu'mineen, may I carry that for you? So he says, no, the father of the children is more deserving that he should carry it for his family. So Ali radiallahu and refused to allow anyone to carry his groceries for him. And carrying his groceries with his own hand, he walked home. Even as ulama, we ourselves, even if we are ulama or leaders, if we have students, we have followers, we have disciples, we are employers, we are businessmen, we are heads of organization, it does not matter. It does not matter. There is no shame, no harm in going to the shops, shopping. <laughs> Allah says in the Quran, quoting the Quraysh, مَا لِهَذَا الرَّسُولِ The Quraysh said, what kind of messenger is this? That he eats food and he walks in the marketplace purchasing. Prophet ﷺ would shop in the marketplace. Abu Bakr would shop and trade. Umar would buy his groceries, a rod in one hand and meat in the other. Ali would do the same. That's how the Sahaba were. No airs, no graces, no pride, no arrogance. They didn't have one saqi and one saiq, meaning, it's a phrase I use, that when we go, Normally, when we have meetings, we say that, okay, we've got to invite Sheikh Funa, Morana Funa, such and such an alim. So I said, well, yeah, put his name down and then add two, three more people with him. I said, why two, three more people? I said, you know, no alim comes alone. He has to have his saqi and saiq. There's a two Arabic words. Saqi means his cupbearer. Saiq means his driver. So I said, you have to have his saqi and his saiq. So Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu an, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu an, had no saqi, no cupbearer, no waiter, no attendant, no one to carry their groceries. They lived simply, they lived humbly. Ali radiyallahu an, you know how he would shop once he bought some cloth? So he chose the cloth and he said to them, how much is this? So they said, three dirhams, three dirhams. That's 
about four or five pounds, depending on the price of silver. If one dirham is equal to, a few years ago, it was one pound, ten pence. A few years later, because of the hike in the price of silver, I calculated to be about one pound ninety. So it's, it hovers anywhere between one and two pounds, one dirham. So he said, how much is this cloth? They said, three dirhams, about five pounds. Four or five pounds, normal, maximum six. So he says, okay, I'll take it. And then it was too long for him, the sleeves. So he said, cut the sleeves and fold them up. That's it. And he was Amirul Mu'mineen at the time. That's how they lived, that's how they dressed. All of the Sahaba, if these were the great Sahaba, what to say of the others? Umar ibn al-Khattab, he was Amir al-Mu'mineen. One day he went to see Ammar ibn Yasir. Ammar ibn Yasir. So he went to his house. Ammar ibn Yasir was doing some repair work and building his house. So when he went to see him, Ammar ibn Yasir was carrying bricks and mortar. So Umar joined in. Along with Ammar ibn Yasir, he started carrying bricks and mortar with him. And he was Umar ibn al-Khattab. In fact, once he went to see Zayd ibn Thabit. Zayd ibn Thabit was a young lad during the time of the Prophet sallallahu He was a young lad, extremely young. So during the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab, and he was still extremely young. Zayd ibn Thabit, Abdullah ibn Abbas were more or less of the same age. So, he went to see Zayd ibn Thabit about mirath, about the laws of inheritance. So he went to ask a Muslim, he went to do mushwara with him. So when he went to his house, Zayd ibn Thabit was obviously shocked that Umar came. So Zayd Umar said to him, so okay, say, stay as you are. And then he said to him, I have come to you to discuss something about the laws of inheritance. Why? Because the Prophet says in the hadith, that the one most knowledgeable of the laws of inheritance is Zayd ibn Thabit. So Umar went to see him, and he was Amir al-Mu'mineen. Zayd ibn Thabit was younger than his own son. Abdullah ibn Umar. So he went to see him. And then when he told him why he had come to see him, Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu said, Oh Amir al-Mu'mineen, you should have told me I would have come to you. You should have summoned me, I would have come to you. Umar radiallahu anhu said, No, I am the one who is in need of you, that's why I had to come to you. Speaking of Zayd ibn Thabit radiyallahu anhu, he was an alim. Once he, he led Salatul Janazah of his mother. He prayed Salatul Janazah of his mother. When he finished and he was mounting his horse or camel, most likely it was his horse, he was mounting his horse. This was Zayd ibn Thabit radiyallahu anhu. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah went up to him and he grabbed the stirrup of the horse with one hand, the stirrup of the saddle with one hand, and the foot of Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu with the other. 
and he helped Zayd ibn Thabit. He tried to help Zayd ibn Thabit insert his foot into the stirrup. Can you imagine that? Anyone would consider that servile. That's what a servant or a slave would do. And who was doing it? Abdullah ibn Abbas So Abdullah ibn Abbas grabbed the foot of Zayd ibn Thabit and entered it into the stirrup which he held with the other hand. So instantly Zayd ibn Thabit said to him, the same Zayd ibn Thabit that Umar so young, and they were the same age, Abdullah ibn Abbas, similar age, Abdullah ibn Abbas and Zayd ibn Thabit. So Zayd ibn Thabit straight away said, O cousin brother of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, leave it, don't do it. O cousin brother of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Abdullah ibn Abbas anhuma's reply was, this is how we have been instructed to honor the ulama amongst us. This is how we have been instructed to honor the ulama amongst us. So you know what Zayd ibn Thabit radiyallahu anhu did? He took the hand of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma and he kissed it. And he said, and in this way we have been instructed to honor the family of Rasulullah sallallahu That was their humility before one another. For the sake of ilm, Umar ibn al-Khattab went to visit someone who was young enough to be his grandson. Whilst he was Amir al-Mu'mineen. And he said to him, no, it was my need, so I had to come to you. One could go on and on about the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. I've related the story about Umar ibn al-Khattab going to patrolling at night, seeing that tent in an open space. He was patrolling at night. He saw a tent. And he had not seen that tent before in that open space. So he went over. There was a Bedouin outside the tent. And he heard sounds of sounds from inside the tent. So he said to the Bedouin, What are those sounds? So the Bedouin said to him, You carry on i.e. it's none of your business. So Umar said to him, still, what are these sounds? It was groaning. So he said, my wife is in labor. She said, wait here. He said, my wife is in labor. I am a Bedouin from out of the city. I am in need. And I have come to seek assistance from Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab. But he didn't recognize him. Umar said, wait here. He went home. His young wife, young, in the middle of the night. And who was she? She was a daughter of Ali radiyallahu anha and Fatima radiyallahu anha. Umm Kulthum. So he said to her, he said, Umm Kulthum, come, get ready. And gather foodstuffs and utensils. And then he went with the pots and pans and utensils and the food, carrying it all the way to the tent. He sent her inside and told her, look after this woman in labor, pains. And he sat outside. He lit the fire. And Umar is blowing into the fire with the smoke wafting through his noble beard. And he is cooking. After a while, the wife of the Bedouin delivered a baby boy. So Umm Kulthum 
she popped her head out and said to Umar radiallahu an, O Amirul Mu'mineen, give your brother glad tidings of the birth of a son. That was when the Bedouin realized who he was and he was in, beside himself in shock. So Umar radiallahu said, doesn't matter, calm, be calm. Umar radiallahu an fed the family food and then told him that tomorrow morning come and see me and I shall give you what you need. I've shortened the story but subhanallah, in the middle of the night, going home, taking his family to help, one Bedouin, in the middle of the night, with his own family, whilst he was Amir al-Mu'mineen, that was Umar radiallahu There are countless stories of Umar radiallahu and the other Sahaba radiallahu anhum. I'll suffice with this. One could speak of Uthman radiallahu Ali radiallahu Uthman radiallahu same, one day, he was seen, you know how he would sleep in the masjid? Same, no guards, no doormen. He would sleep just like Umar radiallahu anh lying down in the masjid. Stories of Ali radiallahu anh and his humility, the way he acts, the way he dressed, the way he conducted himself. Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah radiallahu anh, that magnificent leader of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, a very, someone of whom we know very little. And yet, undoubtedly, he must have been great in the sight of the Messenger وسلم, and the leading Sahaba. Umar and loved him dearly. He really loved him. Abu Bakr raised his hand and said, choose him as an Amir, either Abu Ubaidah or Umar ibn al-Khattab. And he was, Prophet وسلم, elected him to be Aminu Hadhi al-Ummah, the trustworthy, the trustee of this Ummah. And I've spoken at length about Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. All of the Sahaba, in, in the eighth year of Hijrah, the Prophet wasallam sent Amr ibn al-As as the, as the commander of an expedition in Ghazbat al-Dhat al-Salasil, in the eighth year of Hijrah. This was barely a year after Amr ibn al-As had become a Muslim. So he had barely become a Muslim, barely a year had passed since he had become Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ sent him on this expedition as the leader. He requested reinforcements. So the Prophet ﷺ sent reinforcements from Medina. And in the group of reinforcements, you know who they were? Many of the Sahaba, including these three great ones, Abu Bakr. Umar ibn al-Khattab and Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah. And when they arrived, who was the leader of this expedition, the reinforcements? Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah. Not Abu Bakr, not Umar radiallahu anhumah, but Abu Ubaidah. When they arrived, obviously, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah that I have made you the emir of this expedition. And Umar ibn al-As, the emir, and the leader of that expedition. So when you meet, you both follow one another. So when they arrived, there was a bit of misunderstanding and some discussion about who was the Amir now of the joint group. So Amr ibn Aas said that, look, the Messenger وسلم, made me the leader of this expedition, and you are merely reinforcements. So reinforcements do not overtake command, which is true. And Abu Ubaidah radiallahu when the other Sahaba, they said that, look, Abu, you are the leader of your group, but Abu Ubaidah is our leader. 
So Abu Ubaidah radiyallahu an said to Umar ibn al-As, he said, look, this is what the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to me, but he said, and he gladly relinquished his leadership, and he gave total command over to Umar ibn al-As. So in that expedition, can you imagine, in that expedition, someone who had barely become a Muslim a year ago, sorry, who had been a Muslim for barely a year, he was left and made the leader of the expedition. And who served under him? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, Umar ibn al-Khattab, Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah, and all of the other great Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. It didn't matter to them. They were humble. When Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah radiyallahu anhum was in Dimashq, he was surrounding Damascus. Umar gave instructions to Khalid ibn al-Walid to travel from Sham, from, uh, from Persia, and to arrive as a reinforcement for Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah. When they met, Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah was overall commander. He was over chief, commander-in-chief of all the forces of Sham. When Khalid ibn al-Walid arrived, Abu Ubaidat ibn al-Jarrah said to him, normally he would lead Salah, but he said to Khalid ibn al-Walid, he said, come, you have come as reinforcements, you lead us in Salah. So Khalid ibn al-Walid said, no, how can I step ahead in front of the man of whom Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, he is a trustee of this ummah. And Khalid ibn al-Walid refused to lead them in Salah. This was the humility of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. I could give you example after example from the lives of so many of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Their humility in knowledge, their humility in learning. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum, someone asked him a question. So this is what Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum did. He was highly knowledgeable, highly intelligent. Abdullah ibn Umar, highly intelligent, highly knowledgeable. Someone asked him a question. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu dropped his head and remained silent. They thought he never heard the question. So he, he was just thinking. They thought maybe he never heard the question. So someone reminded him and he said, I heard the question, but I am thinking. He said, leave it with me. Let me think about it. If Allah grants me the understanding of this question, then I will give you a reply later. If not, then Allah knows best. They wouldn't just rattle out answers that suited them. So I could give you example of their, examples of their humility in learning, in dress, in knowledge, in their conduct. But we don't have time. I end with just one example. I haven't spoke about, spoken about any of the women folk amongst the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And that is another topic in itself. But speaking of Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha, she was extremely humble. Aisha radiallahu anha, when she was on her deathbed. And I'll end with this. The same Abdullah ibn Abbas who visited Umar ibn Khattab on his deathbed, Abdullah ibn Abbas visited Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha. So when he arrived at the door, Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha's nephew was there. And Abdullah ibn Abbas sought permission. So the nephew said to Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha, O mother of the believers, 
she was a wife of the Prophet And when she was, what did she think of herself? She was a wife of the Messenger of Allah. Did she think she was special? When she was falsely accused and lies were spread about her, her words are in that famous hadith al-ifq, which I've commented on in thorough detail. Her words are, she said, I knew that Allah was somehow going to exonerate me, but I never thought that Allah would reveal verses in my honor. For, فَلَشَأْنِي فِي نَفْسِي أَحْقَرُ مِنْ أَنْ يَتَكَلِّمَ مِنْ أَنْ مِنْ أَنْ يَتَكَلِّمَ اللَّهُ فِيَ بِوَحْيِ That my soul, my I myself, I considered myself to be too unimportant, too insignificant, and too worthless for Allah to speak about me through revelation. But Allah did reveal verses of the Quran. That's what she thought about herself. She never imagined herself to be someone great and grand simply because she was a wife of the Messenger All her airs and graces and her jealousy with Rasulullah was simply out of her love for him. But what she thought of herself, what she believed of herself was this, that she was too worthless, far too insignificant, far too lowly for Allah to speak about her in the Qur'an. But Allah did reveal verses. So on her deathbed, Abdullah ibn Abbas came to see her. The nephew said, oh, mother of the believers, Abdullah ibn Abbas has come. She said, I don't want to see him. <coughs> so she was in her pain. She was on her deathbed. So the nephew said, oh, mother of the believers, he is one of your dutiful sons. So she said, allow him to come in. So Abdullah ibn Abbas came in, sat down. And he began praising her just like he praised Umar ibn al-Khattab And he praised her so much. He said, you were the most beloved to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses of the Qur'an in your honor, verses that would be recited in the masjids of Allah till the day of reckoning. And he continued to praise her. After hearing all of that praise, what, were the, what was the response of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha? Her response was, She said, I surely wish that I would be something long forgotten. It's a very difficult phrase to translate into English. She said, I surely wish that I could only be something nasyam mansiyah, something forgotten, forgotten. That's, that was her response even on her deathbed. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. May Allah make us amongst those who can follow in the footsteps of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum in their humility and in their simplicity. May Allah protect us from the sin of pride and arrogance. May Allah clean our hearts and purify them of even a mustard grain's weight, even atom's weight, of pride, self-conceit, and haughtiness and arrogance. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulihi nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.